The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. My name is Chase, and I'm one of the pastors here, and we are going to look in the Word and study it together as we do every Sunday, but we do have to remember some things. If you want to mark in your Bible 1 Peter 2 and Matthew chapter 21, you can do that as we kind of begin, but let's think back a little bit. We are 50 years old today. In September of 1972, Francis Ford Coppola movie called The Godfather was number one at the box office. Al Green's album was number one, So In Love With You. I asked my wife if I could get that suit to wear today and she, she said no, I, I don't know why. The number one name for little girls was Jennifer. So if your name's Jennifer, you're probably 50 today, right? Number one name for little boys was Michael, maybe named after Michael Corleone. The Dolphins beat the Chiefs 20 to 10 on their way to a perfect Super Bowl season. There's never been one, and the, the Cowboys were going to have one this year until last week happened, I think. <laughs> but you could get milk from a cow named Elsie for 52 cents a gallon in 1972. And I, I couldn't find the exact sign, but in Texas in September of 1972, gas was 36 cents a gallon. And also just real, real great time in our nation's history, Watergate was happening, you know, the good old days, right? But in September, something became official in Temple, Texas. There was a small group of people, they had been gathering in a, a house or homes in this little town of 35,000, they registered their church with the state. Pastor Leonard Christofferson, his wife Alice, and then Paul Zosky and his wife Eunice. And, and then in 1981, a, a young man and his wife came from Dallas Seminary. It was Gary and Bev DeSalvo. And for 38 years, he just faithfully pointed us to Christ, taught us the word, taught us how to apply it, worked with elders alongside him, teaching the word, deacons alongside him, serving God's people. And, and Bev and Daniel and Sarah are here today. And TBC would not exist. We wouldn't be who we are without the DeSalvos. So could we just say thank you to the DeSalvos this morning? just praise God uh, for Gary and for all of you. Goodness, I didn't do this when y'all weren't here last hour and got something in my throat all of a sudden. Uh, listen, we, G Gary would say to us, to God be the glory, great things he has done. And so as we think about 50 years, we want to say that as well. There, not what we've done, but what God has done from a house to a union hall to a small auditorium back over there to this place that we now meet from three missionaries to over 40 missionaries and international partners. We, we think somewhere around 1,500 people baptized and that number's gonna grow tonight. We started with one local outreach partner and now I think somewhere around 17, people consistently just coming to faith in Jesus and then a continued generosity toward ministry here and among the nations. 
And the Bible was and Bible is and Bible will be our middle name. So we're going to look in that Bible today and we're going to read just to start the first five verses of 1 Peter chapter 2. So put away all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, as you come to him a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. You yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Lord, as we look in your word today, would you teach us, open our eyes, transform us by your spirit and help us to live as a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for your possession who proclaim your excellencies to a world in need. In Jesus' name, amen. My friend Linda invited me to Bible Chapel. It was not a church building. We were actually meeting in the home of Pastor Christopherson. And we met there for some time. My parents were part of a small Bible study, the way I understand. And those people desired to see a Bible church built in temple and banded together and organized. And that was the beginning of Bible Chapel. Pastor Christopherson had the vision of helping the body grow and that the Word of God was the center of that growth. We grew slowly in numbers in the beginning, but we grew spiritually because we were taught the Word, we were memorizing the scriptures and trying to apply God's Word to our lives. He said, don't just read it, but study it, memorize it, and obey it. I don't think it's a small thing that Bible is the middle name of Temple Bible Church. You know, when it, the church was founded in 72, uh, even through the 80s, that's when a time when a lot of evangelical churches were kind of abandoning the inerrancy of Scripture or the authority of Scripture. So the fact that it still had Bible in its name, and everywhere you showed up, I mean, the preaching was from the Bible, the small groups were from the Bible. I think when Gary came, the church probably had grown enough that we were ready to begin spreading out and sharing the gospel, not just in our homes or in our workplace, but worldwide. So when we first got here, within a year, um, we wanted to go on the mission field as medical students. We went away for a fellowship, training, and we knew we wanted to be a part of where God was already at work. And so that was a, one of the major decisions we had to come back to Temple, was we wanted to be a part of what God was already doing at TBC. We went to Brazil in January of 1972. We saw changes in TBC when we would come back. So just to see the growth and the way that TBC is 
has uh, continued to reach out not only in the local community with the Bible teaching, but also overseas through the missionary staff. The legacy that Pastor Christopherson and Jerry began continues at Temple Bible Church today. Uh, we have a community involved with our church, as well as uh, the word being taught. And I think we are continually challenged each week as we listen to the messages that our pastors uh, uh, present, that uh, the word of God should be a priority in our lives. You know, you look at, you look at church history, and TBC's church history. And the fact that TBC has flourished for 50 years really is a testimony to God's faithfulness because people have come and gone. TBC has not done everything right, uh, but God has been faithful to his covenant people. Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. And that's kind of a life verse as we get a little older and continue serving as we can. We just realize that uh, we're not finished yet, but God in His faithfulness will carry us to the end. And we see that in, in Temple Bible Church, the caring community, the encouragement, encouragement that we've had through the years through the body, whether we're here or overseas in our ministry, all of that has contributed, I feel, to uh, not only what's done in the past, but what we're presently experiencing, what we look to the future, as God continues to show His faithfulness, not only to us, but to the whole body of Christ here at Temple Bible. See, 50 years of the faithfulness of God ought to serve as a so for us. First Peter 2 starts, so. That means we have to look back at what happened before. And when we look back on 50 years of God's faithfulness at TBC, it ought to help us to look forward. This church, these churches in Asia Minor would have to look back, as Paul said, so. And the so, Tim kind of pointed us to last week, that this is a people who've been redeemed and they've been bought not by perishable seed, but imperishable, the blood of the lamb. They've been purchased by the word of God that was preached to them. And so Peter says to these churches, in view of this reality that you have been saved, that your life has been transformed, that you are a new people, put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. Why? Why put these things away? He says, he's going to tell them because you're God's people. You're a set apart people, not the world's people, but God's people, a holy people, a justified people, a sanctified people. So put away, in the Greek, it's imperative, put away once for all. It's tied to their holiness. And he starts with malice, which really is just any kind of wickedness. How we tend to couch this, if we were to think about malice and any kind of wickedness, what kind of wickedness is Peter talking about here? This is the kind of wickedness other people deal with, not the kind I deal with, right? But then he gives four specific sins that they're dealing with. And I think one is just utterly prevalent in our culture today. 
The first is deceit. The word literally is guile. In the next verse, he's going to say long for the pure milk of the word and guile is the opposite of pure. The word for guile is tholon. Pure is ah tholon. It's opposite of. It's without guile. He says put away guile or put away deceit. It meant to catch with bait. Don't try to trick people. Well, put away guile or deceit and put away hypocrisy. Literally, it's putting your judgments under a mask. It's pretending to be someone you're not. As Christians, we're called to be above board. We're called to be open about who we are in Christ. We're called to be bold with the gospel and we're called to live out our faith. And then he says, put away envy or jealousy. A social media world impacts us negatively in lots of ways, but there are a couple of ways in particular, and one of those is envy. What we do is we get online and we scroll and we compare our life to everyone else's best five minutes, right? The greatest vacation photos in the history of the world, and we're eating hot dogs and peanut butter and jelly sandwiches at home, right? And we envy, we envy what people have, we envy where they get to go, we envy their status in life, we envy their gifts, and he says, put this away, and then slander. The slander is to speak of others negatively and inaccurately. And I tell you, the way I see this happen most often on social media is through the exaggeration of another's wickedness. If somebody doesn't disagree with me on social media, they're basically, I, I, I have the right to compare them to a guy, first name Adolf, last name Hitler, Right? We just exaggerate the wickedness of those who disagree with us. And the Bible has a word for that, slander. And Peter has a word for it, stop. He's gonna tell them later, this is going to happen to you. Don't respond to it, just live a good life. Live such a good life that the people who are slandering you see your good works and glorify God. Don't worry about it, but don't do it yourself. Put it away, put it away, put it away. Why? because he's just told them to be about brotherly love. Having purified your souls by obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. See, loving one another earnestly from a pure heart builds up community, but malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander destroy community. They tear it down. So he says, put these things away and like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. Long for pure spiritual milk. It's an intense yearning. It's a desire above other things. But he doesn't just say long for pure spiritual milk. The article is there, the, what is the pure spiritual milk? It's the word, long for the word. It's not that God doesn't want us to long for things. He wants us to long for the right things. And Peter says, long for the pure spiritual milk of the word so that by it you may grow up to salvation or you may be nourished up. You may be built up to salvation. That is your sanctification. It's not that you're reading the word because you want to be saved. It's that you're growing up into the salvation that's been given to you. I got the privilege a couple of weeks ago to listen to Tim Cartwright conduct a baptism interview and he's really good at conducting baptism interviews and I got to sit in because my son Jeb will be baptized tonight. I'm pretty excited about that. Tim was interviewing him and as Tim was talking to him about the good works that Christians do, he said, Jeb, do, do we do these things so that we'll be saved? And Jeb just kind of looked at him funny and said, no, 
you sort of want to do them now because Jesus lives in you? I said, oh yeah, good answer, right? That's great. Well, he, he's saying you're gonna grow up in the salvation because the word of God's been taught to you and as you long for it, it will change you. I loved as Gladys was talking one of the things that she shared with me and TJ is that the church, she had this little book, you might have noticed in her hand, a little red book, the whole church in 1972, 1973, 1974 was part of this scripture memory association and they would come to Pastor Christopherson's house on Saturday, they each had 15 minute slots, please don't all of you come to my house next Saturday, right? But they had 15 minute slots that they were practicing the scripture that they were memorizing together. They longed for the word together. How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word, Psalm 119. I've hidden your word in my heart, why? So that I may not sin against you. Peter says, long for this word so that you can grow up. Don't stay as infants, long like infants long for their mother's milk, but don't stay as infants. Grow in the word, grow in the word, grow in the word. Make progress in your salvation. Now listen, you can read the word and not make progress in your salvation. You can read it for a head knowledge. You can read it for a knowledge that puffs up. You can learn all the facts and not be impacted by God's spirit, but you can't not read the word and grow. It's essential if you're to grow up in your salvation. We don't do this to be saved. We do this because we've been transformed. It's be nourished up, grow. Now verse three, you gotta look at verse three. He says, if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. So if you're not a Christian, this will be impossible for you. It'll seem impossible. It'll feel impossible. You can't grow. You can't work it out. You'll never be good enough. You'll never learn enough. You just can't do it without God's grace abiding in you, without this understanding that Jesus lived and died and rose from the dead to give life to all who believe. But if the Spirit of God lives in you, then grow up into salvation. He says, if indeed you've tasted the kindness of the Lord. That's such a strange phrase, right? I think he's saying if, you, if you've come to understand how kind God is to you, because is, is there anyone here who'd go, yeah, I've not really tasted God's kindness. I don't find him very kind. See, he gives us life and breath and everything else. In him we live and move and we have our being. He's not far from any one of us. He's been kind to us. So Peter says, if you've tasted his kindness, grow up into salvation, grow up. And he starts using Old Testament language. And he's gonna weave some language implicitly at first and then explicitly from the Old Testament and from the words of Jesus to help this people understand who they are. He says, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. When he says, as you come to him, he's speaking to believers. This is not about initial salvation, not for people who don't know Christ. This is people who do know Christ. As you come to him habitually, relationally. Dave talked to us two weeks ago. Tim talked last week about this relational aspect of our holiness. We are wedded to God and he is wedded to us. And he says, as you come to him, you're a living stone. 
It's over and over and over again because we don't come to Jesus and then not need his grace. The grace that saves us is the grace that keeps us. So if you come to him over and over and over, you're coming to a living stone. Now, Dave, Dave mentioned a couple of weeks ago, you would not get married. Proclaim your vows and then say to your wife, I'm telling you today, I love you. And if anything changes, I'll tell you and never tell her again. If you're trying that at your house, let me know how it works out for you. No, there's this relational aspect to the deepest relationships and, and Peter is speaking about the deepest relationship we have and he says, as you come to him a living stone rejected by men, literally it's disallowed, but chosen and precious in God's sight. And Jesus was Israel's Messiah and he came to earth and he was rejected. He was disallowed. The leaders of the Jewish nation said, no, you're not the Messiah we're expecting, though they should have been seeing or looking just for him. He wasn't who they wanted, but he's just who they should have been expecting. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by man, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves are like living stones. As Jesus was on earth, so now are you. You're being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So in chapter one, he says, as I am holy, you be holy. Now he says, Jesus was a living stone and now you are living stones. Now that's such an interesting phrase to me because in the scripture, metaphor is used often, sometimes water, sometimes wind, sometimes stones, but there's no such thing as a living stone, right? I think Peter's maybe hearkening back to Ezekiel when dry bones were made alive or when he said, I'll give you a heart of flesh, I'll remove your heart of stone. He says, you're living stones and you're being built up as a spiritual house. You are the church. Literally, you are the new temple. The you is plural, the house is singular. We together offer spiritual sacrifices as a holy priesthood acceptable to God. See, the, the priest would make sacrifices to the people so that the people could rightly worship God. And our vocation as God's people is to facilitate the worship of Jesus to the ends of the earth. We're gonna to be told in just a bit that we are a kingdom of priests. Dave Tate said it this way, we say it at TBC often that the church is not a building, it's the people. Dave Tate says the church is a building, it's just not the kind you think it is. We are the building. We are the stones that make up this temple. Jesus is the chief cornerstone. So we're to be set apart, instruments of worship. And Peter's gonna do something in the next five verses, verses six through 10. Five times in five verses, he's going to point to either Old Testament or Jesus quoting the Old Testament. And he's trying to help this new church or group of churches made up of Jew and Gentile understand who they are, but he doesn't, he doesn't have time to say, give them the gospel of Mark right now. He's writing them a short letter. 
So these five verses are going to serve as a montage. You, you know what a montage is from movies. There are training montages, or sometimes there's a montage that reminds you of the story very quickly. And Peter's going to do that succinctly. I thought about a couple of montages that I really love. And the first is from the movie Rocky, which came out right after Bible Chapel started, really. And in the movie Rocky, I thought about a couple of things I had to be careful with as I showed you these. And one is I, I could just imagine little Timmy Cartwright running past burning trash cans in the streets of Philadelphia as he was growing up. The other is Tim does not know Rocky Balboa is a fictional character. So, so don't, don't tell him, okay? But in Rocky, there's, Rocky's going to fight this great champion, Apollo Creed, and he he works hard to do that, and the movie tells that story, but in three minutes and 42 seconds, there's this montage that ends with him standing at the top of these famous steps in Philadelphia, ready to fight. Another that stuck out to me was Forrest Gump. I really want to scream, run Forrest, like Jenny did, but I'm not going to. But in Forrest Gump, when Forrest Gump's a child, he's got braces on his legs. He can't run and some bullies are, are making fun of him. They throw a rock, hit him in the head and his friend Jenny screams, run Forrest and he starts running. And as he runs, the braces on his legs break free and he continues to run. He runs so well, we got a picture of him playing football for Alabama, running on my horns last week, right? And then there's, a, there's this scene where he's this man with really short hair and he just starts running and keeps running and keeps running until he's this man with really long hair and he has people running with him. I thought about what it must have been like for Peter as he sat down to write this letter and he remembered as a little boy by the Sea of Galilee, his dad telling him the old, old stories about how Israel was a chosen nation, a holy people, a royal priesthood. And they were waiting for a Messiah who would be the stone the builders rejected that became the cornerstone. And anyone who believed in him would never be put to shame. And then as he gets a little bit older, he's fishing in the Sea of Galilee and he meets a man. His brother says, he's unlike any other. And that man, Jesus says, your name's not gonna be Simon anymore. It's going to be Peter. And he denies him. And then he turns to strengthen his brothers after Jesus raises from the dead. And he's lived and followed for 30 years. And that all comes together in a letter. And he says, let me tell you who you are in Christ. And so he starts in verse six and he, he quotes Isaiah 28, 16. It stands in scripture. 700 years before Jesus was born, Isaiah wrote, I'm laying a stone in Zion, a cornerstone chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. He's going to be the cornerstone, the one that everything is built on. And then Peter says, so the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, then he, he quotes Isaiah 28, the stone that the builders has rejected, he has become the cornerstone. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Now turn to Matthew chapter 21, because as Peter tells this group of people something about Jesus, he's telling them something about themselves. While you're turning to Matthew 21, this, this passage, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. It's Psalm 118, 22. 
Now, during Passover, the Jews sang Hallel Psalms, Psalm 113 through 118. So somewhere along the way, maybe it was walking toward the Garden of Gethsemane. Maybe it was after his arrest that night. Maybe it was when he's being mocked. Maybe it's when he's walking the road to Golgotha. Jesus would have this psalm in his mind. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and and just through, through the deepest rejection of the Messiah through crucifixion, he showed himself to be the cornerstone. Five days before he died, he told his disciples about this and he, he did it through a parable. In Matthew 21, 33, he says, here another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and he put a fence around it. He dug a wine press and he built a tower and he leased it to tenants and went to another country. When the season for fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants. Now the tenants are Israel. He sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. Then the tenants took his servants and they beat one and killed another and stoned another. These are the prophets. And again, he sent other servants more than the first and they did the same thing. Finally, he sent his son to them saying, they will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, this is the heir, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. When therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do with those tenants? They said to him, he will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits in their seasons. And what Peter is telling these people is you're the new tenants, right? Not the Jews who rejected Jesus, but Jew and Gentile who've come together in Christ. You're the new tenants. You have the vocation that Israel had to facilitate the worship of God among the nations. And then in verse 42, Jesus said, have you never read in the scriptures, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. See, Jesus is pointing them to himself. And you can kind of hear the play on the words. The son is rejected in the parable and then the stone is rejected. The son is rejected and then the stone is rejected. It's kind of a play on words in English, but all the more in Hebrew. Son is Ben. Stone is Eben. We get the word Ebenezer. Stones of remembrance, right? You rejected the bend, the sun, you rejected the stone, but God is making him the chief cornerstone and you are the new tenants. Now it's bad news for those who reject Christ, right? Because he's a stone of stumbling, he's a rock of offense. See, if you reject Jesus, if you press against him, if you do not believe, he'll be like a rock on the way. You're wearing your flip-flops to the beach. You think it's all sandy and you hit that rock, right? Square on your big toe. And you say things your mother would not approve of, right? Or maybe it's like a pebble in your shoe. It just keeps rubbing and rubbing and rubbing. For some of you here today, that's what it's like. Because you've heard the truth about Jesus. You 
you're starting to understand it's true and very true, but you want to live life on your own, ta- on your own terms. You want to be the king of your own domain. And he's a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, but he can become your cornerstone. See, he says, this is not the way for you. He's a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense to those who reject him. But what about us? What about the church? What about these churches in Asia Minor and this church in Central Texas? What about our sister churches in Ukraine and in Rwanda? How does Peter describe them? How does God describe us? He says, but you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. See, he's telling them who they are, but he's also telling them you're part of a really old story. He's quoting Exodus 19. Words that Moses spoke to Israel after they had been saved out of Egypt, before they get the law. And he says, your salvation leads to vocation. And that's what Peter's telling these people. See, in Exodus, the Israelites had been redeemed from Egypt. They had been saved from slavery in Egypt. And Moses says, now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples. For all the earth is mine and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests. You're going to be a kingdom of priests. You're going to facilitate the worship of the nations for God. That was Israel's vocation and they failed at it. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. And Peter is now now telling these people in Asia Minor, You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Why? So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. God had called Israel out of the darkness of Egypt into the marvelous light of the promised land. And they were to proclaim his excellencies. I just want to ask, whose excellencies or what excellencies do you proclaim? What praises do you declare? People declare the praises of some really, really strange things, really strange things. Jeff Greenwood and his wife, Teresa, really love Taylor Swift. So, so because Taylor Swift is a true and real person in their words and an amazing role model, if you weren't aware, for everybody and how she treats people and carries herself, they decided they would carve out their 12-acre cornfield in devotion to Taylor Swift. This is how they are declaring her praise. Listen, girls have loved boy bands a whole lot, but one young lady loved Harry Styles so much that she had someone perform a marriage ceremony between her and a cutout of Harry Styles so she could proclaim the excellencies of her favorite singer. Your life, my life, our lives together proclaim the excellencies of something. If somebody looked at your life and said, oh, this is what it's about. Oh, this is what he's about. Oh, this is what she's about. This is what she loves or he loves more than any other thing. What would it be? Would your life just be an anthem of Christ to be magnified? Or would it be something 
or someone else. See, he tells these people, you're a new possession and you are a new people. And he tells them you're to have new passions. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Now, nobody in here, if I ask you, woke up this morning and thought, I think today I'll wage war against my own soul. Anybody, anyone? I've asked that question in lots of places and nobody ever raises their hand. I just thought it would be a good idea to wage war against my own soul. That's what the passions of our flesh do. And some of you know it dearly. It's cost you at work. It's cost you at home. It's costing you in a relationship right now. It's cost you in your relationship with your kids. It costs you in your relationship with your parents. It costs you in your relationship with your siblings. It harms your relationship with God. And it wars against your own soul. Abstain from these. Don't live like citizens of the world. Live like citizens of heaven because this is not our home. He says, abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul and keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, when they slander you, they'll see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Live such good lives. See, we proclaim the excellencies of Jesus with our words, but we also do with our mouths or with our lives. See, what you do at work matters. The way you treat coworkers and clients matters. The dealings of your business matters. What you say to your spouse and how you say it, the way you prioritize or don't prioritize your marriage matters. One of my favorite people at TBC is a guy named Tucker Saxton. He's one of our ministry assistants. And we have a staff fantasy football league that Tucker is in. And I love that Tucker is in it. I play him week seven. And the reason I love Tucker being in our fantasy football league is because he doesn't care about fantasy football and he's a really easy win. (laughs) You ask him what he's doing, he doesn't know what he's doing. But if you ask him about this young lady named Morgan that he is married to, pack a lunch. He's going to talk for hours. He's going to cry when he talks to you about Morgan. He can't help it. He is just so in love with her. Tucker has this big, massive beard that covers his face. But when he smiles talking about Morgan, his smile just eats his beard, right? There's a reality. It's an unfortunate reality. But a lot of men in our culture, maybe some men in this church have spent more time over the last four weeks thinking about a fantasy football roster. In case you don't know what fantasy football is, it's what people play when they're not good enough to play the real game, right? (laughs) Spend more time thinking about a fantasy football roster than your spouse. Don't do it. How you treat your kids matters. How you spend your time and energy and money and attention proclaims the excellencies of something. And we're to proclaim the excellency of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light so that even people who slander us, and hear me, people slander us. We don't have to speak against it. We don't have to say a word. We just what we're doing. Live such good lives among the pagans so that they see your good works and they glorify God. Leslie Newbegin, who's a missionary to India, a Brit, came back to Britain and began writing about Christianity and culture. And he began to talk about how when the church does this, when we live such good lives among the pagans, 
they can't help but glorify God. We show false gods to be false and the risen Christ to be the true God. He said there are six ways that we do this. He says a community of praise shows the foolishness of skepticism through our trust and respect for God. Skepticism is the most popular thing in the world. Doubt is huge these days. But he says when we live lives of praise, we subvert the foolishness of skepticism. He says a community of truth lives out something both supernatural and believable. When we live like Jesus rose from the dead, we show people this is a miracle, but it must have happened. A community of service is God's emissary to our neighbors and the nations. As we love and serve, we show ourselves to be the people of God. A community of disciples is a kingdom of priests to the world as we help people in our neighborhoods and all over the world to worship Jesus. A community caring for one another subverts selfishness and shows our dependence on God and each other. And then a community of hope offers an alternative future for people living lives of quiet desperation. So we live such good lives among the pagans. Why do we do it? Why do we do it? Well, I think the answer is found in 1 Peter 2.10. Peter, once again, quotes the Old Testament. He quotes the book of Hosea. Hosea was a prophet and God told the prophet Hosea, go marry Gomer, an unfaithful wife. And, and Gomer had children while she was married to Hosea and being unfaithful as a prostitute. And one of the kids' names was not a people. And another name was no mercy. And Peter says to this group, of churches on Asia Minor, you once were not a people, you once were no mercy, you were once unfaithful. See, God said to Hosea, this is what Israel is like to me. I'm the faithful husband and you're the unfaithful bride. Peter says, this is who you were, but it's not who you are anymore. You once were not a people, now you're the people of God. You once had not received mercy, but now because of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, you have received mercy, so live different lives. See, we do this not to earn salvation, but, but out of fully fledged son and daughtership to God, co-heirs with Jesus and co-laborers with Jesus. As we close, I would just ask you this, is Jesus your stone of stumbling or is he your cornerstone? See, 50 years ago, some people began to meet in this place, this city, who saw him as the cornerstone. And if you truly taste his kindness, you'll never cease to taste it. You'll want it more and more and more. If you truly stand on this rock, you won't want to stand on any other foundation. Those who experience God's goodness in Christ will do so in increasing measure forever. See, the story of Temple Bible Church has been, is, and always will be the story of God's faithfulness to his people through Jesus Christ, our King. And just as he's been faithful for 50 years, he will be faithful forever. We will never see the end of his goodness. And so we will labor together until Jesus returns and reigns forevermore. Father, we thank you for this truth that we will never see the end of your goodness, that we will give praise to King Jesus forever and ever and find our joy in him. So God, would you, would you move in us, Father, to live lives 
that proclaim your excellencies. We thank you for calling us together out of the darkness of our own sin into the marvelous light of the son that you love. And so we continue to praise you in this service and we'll continue to praise you all of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.